it is Valentine's Day, though, on Friday, and, and I figured my message is not about Valentine's Day. It's about the Good Shepherd. But I do have a scripture, just one scripture I wanted to share with you for those of us who are married, and it comes from Job, 1917, and it says this, My breath is repulsive to my wife. I am rejected <laughs> by my own family. This is a real scripture, okay? So, happy Valentine's Day. There's a man, I want to show you this guy, he's a Canadian, uh, Egerton Ryerson Young in the 19th century. Um, the story is told of him by means of William Barclay. He records the powerful story of this Wesleyan Methodist missionary who reached a group of uh, Native Americans, a tribe, with the gospel for the first time. And back in the day, we called Native Americans Red Indians at that time. In Saskatchewan, Canada, he traveled to the tribe and told them about the love of God. For the tribe, it was entirely new information. When Young told the message of Jesus, an old chief said, When you spoke of the Great Spirit just now, did I hear you say, Our Father? Yes, he replied. The chief said, This is very new and sweet to me. We never thought of the great spirit as father. We heard him as thunder. We saw him in the lightning, the tempest, and the blizzard, and we were afraid. So when you tell us that the great spirit is our father, that is very beautiful to us. The wise elder of the tribe took a moment as that new glimpse of glory captured his imagination, and he continued, Missionary, did you say that the Great Spirit is your father? Young said, Yes. The chief thought about it, and he spoke, And did you say that he is the Indian's father? I did, said the missionary. Then you and I are brothers, said the chief, as he understood the dawning of a new reality. Saints, God is our Father, and we are brothers and sisters. Unity among human beings is only possible through the love of Jesus Christ, because in Him we live and move and have our being. This is the hope for our marriages and our romances during this week of St. Valentine's Day, as well as the only power that can heal the divide of our world, especially in our nation as Republicans and Democrats. Around the world, you think of the Palestinians and the Israelis, young and mature, empowered and weak, healthy and ill, especially may God... Uh, heal and contain this coronavirus that's broken out around the world. The divide between educated and illiterate and the wealthy and the needy is met in Jesus. Our destiny, our well-being, and our life truly is in Christ together. The sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve have a father who calls us by name, handles us with care, and sacrificed himself so that our relationship to him, to our family, 
to our neighbor and to ourselves would be fully restored. This is our birthright as born-again Christians. And today, we're going to focus on a metaphor that's repeatedly used in the scripture that says that we are like sheep and the Lord is the good shepherd. And so that's my message today as we look at John chapter 10. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them up to John chapter 10, or if you have a phone or tablet, or if you just like to read along up above. I'm reading from the ESV this morning, English Standard Version. It's not going to be too different from whatever you're reading, but the words of Jesus are this, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold, say sheepfold, I'm going to show you one in just a moment. Whoever does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So we don't want to be like those first listeners. We want to understand, right? The imagery of God as our shepherd is woven through the entire story of God's redemptive work with humanity. And still today, you might not have seen a sheepfold, you might not have worked with sheep, but he is our shepherd. He's the good shepherd. But first, it's important to remember the context of this passage. And I'm going to skip to the end of this passage, verse uh, 19 through 21. After he talks about being the good shepherd, this is, and I'm not projecting it, but this is what he says at the end. Because context is important. Um, I heard a a preacher years ago from Florida. He's now passed on, D. James Kennedy. He said that a text without a context is a pretext. And it's just like real estate, right? What's the most important rules of real estate? Location, location, location. You got to understand the neighborhood around what, you know, a particular verse or chapter is about. And uh, the context, the, the location was that Jesus had just um, healed a blind man with, with, uh, with mud. This was kind of a cool miracle, right? He spit in the mud, favorite miracle of Mark here because it involves saliva, and he put it in the eyes of the man, told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, and he came back and he was healed. But then he's excommunicated, he's forced out of the synagogue because the religious leaders are mad. So at the end of this passage, it says, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words, him talking about being shepherd. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So sometimes we read about Jesus being good shepherd and everything, and then you forget. It's like, well, it was in the context of him healing somebody, and then they didn't like the guy who was healed because Jesus healed him. Now, this still happens in our world today, as an aside, that when God makes somebody whole, when he sets them free, when he heals us, and the most important healing of all is inner healing, sometimes people look at that and they're not happy about that. 
So that's the larger context. Jesus is saying this after religious leaders in Israel are enraged that he healed the blind man on the day of rest, on the Sabbath. Their anger blinded them to seeing God in his healing power and courteous compassion. So who are the thieves and robbers that Jesus is referring to in this passage? Anyone? Who's the thieves and the robbers? It's the religious teachers. They had a religious spirit. A lot of times people equate spirituality with religion, and I don't think we have to go overboard to say, I mean, it's true when people say, I don't have religion, I have a relationship with Jesus. That's true, but other than people who get it inside the four walls of this church, a lot of people out in the world, you say religion and they're, they're thinking that. And so it's important to teach them relationship, but... Um, you know, the, the end point is wholeness. The end point is salvation. The end point is healing and winsomeness and love and compassion toward other people. And this is what Jesus did on Sabbath. And he did it on Sunday. And he did it on Monday and Tuesday and every day of the week. And this is what he still does today because Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And so he's still about making people whole. And yet there is still a religious spirit in the church even more than in the world. It's in the world, of course, but it wants to creep in. See, because the Pharisees got saved in the New Testament. And then the Pharisees, you know, if you've read your Bible for a while, they brought in all these problems. They're like, okay, well, all the people worshiping Jesus got to follow dietary laws. And they need to be circumcised. And they need to do this. And they need to do that. And we still have our list of things that we need to do to be approved by religious leaders today. But Jesus says they're robbers. They're thieves. They're strangers. Now, not people with a compassionate spirit. Not people like, you know, Egerton, Ryerson, Young that I showed you about there. But you know the difference when you come up against it, right? And so, because the Holy Spirit, you know, the Spirit within us bears witness with the Spirit in other believers when there's that right, humble, Christ-like, prayerful, loving attitude. Amen? Am I preaching truth today? And so, may we be those people. Jesus is not those things that the religious leaders were. So, this is a sheepfold. The sheep would be kept if you can see it okay, I got another picture. The sheep would be kept in the sheepfold at times when they were not out to pasture, like at night during a storm or danger. I had the opportunity a few years back to see a sheepfold. Actually, I think it was a goat, a goat fold. But, you know, they keep their critters. And it was a bunch of, like, uh, thorny bushes that nobody would want to break through, not an animal or a human being, because you get totally tore up from the thing it's kind of like our what are those little vines that we have here in Humboldt yeah the, the blackberry vines I was walking through the backyard after we first moved here and I'm just cruising along and I got this cool shirt that's like red white and blue and just walk in the fence line and then boom the whole like shoulder rips out because I catch it on a thorn and so in Africa in some parts they'll just use big thorny bushes that are dead you know they cut them off and then they pile them up so that they're like twice as high as these pews. And then that keeps all the sheep in or the goats or, you know, whatever you're keeping in. You know, kids, I don't know. And uh, don't worry, parents, your kids are okay in our nursery, okay? Um, it's just my sense of humor. And then at the entrance, you can see the entrance here. Guess who's at the entrance? The shepherd, the gatekeeper, 
that's the door. It, didn't, it might not have had swinging hinges or, you know, but you had a person, if you can see in this little artist conception of this, a, a person, the shepherd, would be there at the opening. It is said that shepherds would even sleep or nap at the gate, and if a sheep walked over him, it would wake him up. Hence, the shepherd keeps watch over the sheep at the gate, preventing them from wandering off or a predator from entering. So the image is that Jesus is the shepherd. He's the gate. He's the door. He's the protector. He's the companion of the sheep. So they would be taken into this, and sometimes it would be uh, flocks of different shepherds at nighttime, during a storm, during a, a time of danger. This would protect them, whatever kind of walls you had. Okay, so several flocks of sheep at times would be all kept together for a community because they didn't, you know, it's like expensive to do a bunch of rock work or woodwork or gathering those thorn bushes. So maybe a village would all have one large sheepfold and I'd have my flock there and you'd have your flock there and then we could just hire one person or, or take turns as shepherds protecting the sheep through the night, right? So in the morning, each shepherd would lead out his or her sheep with their own distinct voice, and the flocks would divide up to follow their leaders, often in song. Interestingly, the ancient Jews saw dogs as repulsive animals, so they did not use sheepdogs to help do the work. This, the saying of Jesus continues here in John 10. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. There's a whole lot of lessons in this. And if, if you listen to radio and, you know, have a history, uh, hearing good teaching, there's all kinds of lessons in this John 10 passage uh, about shepherds versus hirelings and how we're like sheep and, and the good attributes of a, of a good shepherd. More than we can go into here this morning. But... Look at what you get with strangers, thieves, and robbers. The end result is steal, kill, and destroy, and yet Jesus comes that we would have life and have it abundantly. And this is just a beautiful scripture. It's quoted a lot of times, but Jesus came that you would experience the life, and he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. It's all about life. When we're connected to God, we have life within us. But when we're, you know, separated from him, that's death. Uh, death defined is being separated from this earthly tent, as it were. And I think it's in James chapter 2 where it talks, it, it, it actually references that. Not to make a point, it's kind of a side point supporting another point that James makes, but death is separation from the body. And so spiritual death is separation from our source of life who is God. And Adam and Eve fell. They lost their spiritual life, their connection their, their, from their life source who is uh, the great I am. 
And so, let's continue on. Oh, one thing I wanted to mention, too. He says, everyone who's come before me is, you know, th- you know not good. Thieves and robbers. There were a lot of messiahs before Jesus and even contemporaries with Jesus and ones that came after him among the Jewish people and their, their path to the wonderful utopian future for Israel was always a path of bloodshed. It always entailed overcoming their enemies by force. But Jesus is the Prince of Peace who wants not you know, some, some system of, of, of laws to, or system of rules to make people obey or to, to, you know, get us to do what he wants us to do out of fear. He's the prince of peace who wins our soul and our will by virtue of his sheer goodness and glory. That when we look at him, we're like, that is what I want in my life. That is what I need. That is what I'm missing. And it's not a that, it's a him. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. And so this passage goes on where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. One of the many great I am statements of the Gospel of John. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now this is how Jesus is unlike any other person in history and any other figure who has ever led or ever will lead a movement of faith. He's unlike any other person. Uh, Mike brought it up yesterday when he did the funeral uh, that C.S. Lewis said that Jesus is either a liar or a lunatic or Lord. That there's kind of no in-between. I mean, when he talks about the things that he talked about in the Gospels, he was either crazy or he was lying to us or he was really right. Like he, he, and the fact that he rose from the dead was the proof in, in the pudding. So have you heard the one in the insane asylum? I might have shared it before, but you know, different people are, are going around and one guy says, um, I'm George Washington. And the other guy says, no, you're not. And uh, he says, but I'm Napoleon Bonaparte. And he says, oh yeah, well, how do you know that? He says, God told me. God told me that I'm Napoleon Bonaparte. And then somebody over in the corner, another you know, person in the asylum says, I did not tell you that. <laughs> but when Jesus spoke things like, I'm the good shepherd, it was a trusted voice. And we still know that voice today. Verse 12, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And this was, you know, shepherds over Israel, in other words, the leaders of Israel, they are criticized by the prophets Jeremiah and more intensely by Ezekiel in Ezekiel 34 because they cared only for themselves and what they could get out of their flock rather than what they could give to the flock. Jesus is the ultimate man and God who gives and gives and gives and loves and provides and protects and sustains. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And he did that on Calvary. He sacrificed himself. He poured out his blood, 
which is our source of protection, our source of life. And it seems grisly to many people, but in the Father's eyes, that was what they needed. That's why he set up the tabernacle worship system, so that every morning, oh, another lamb's being sacrificed. Every afternoon, another lamb. They knew, they were taught that the result of sin is blood, that it is so egregious in God's sight. It is so horrible. It's like an animal being, you know, sacrificed. And it's, it doesn't smell good. It doesn't look good. It's not good, and yet Jesus was teaching his people, all the children of Abraham, for centuries before Jesus, giving them, giving them this picture that Jesus not only is the, the doorway to the tabernacle, the only way you could enter into God's presence, but he's the sacrifice, he's the brazen altar, he's the cleansing, he's the brazen sea, he's the bread of life, he's the light of the world, he's our great high priest intercessor, and ultimately, he is the propitiation. Now, that's a technical word, but once a year, the high priest would go put blood on the mercy seat, which was where God's presence dwelt in the tabernacle, and that was a foreshadowing that his own son, who showed up on the scene, and John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. It was foreshadowing the day in which Christ would enter the heavenly tabernacle, God's throne itself, and offer his sacrifice. It's, it's Calvary, but I think something happened. This is my guess. I think something happened in heaven where Jesus presented himself in that time after he, he died after Calvary, but before he raised, where, where beforehand on the cross, Jesus said it's finished, and this is a little speculation on my part, but the Father ratified what happened. He said, yep, your blood's pleasing. We're going to dispatch the Holy Spirit shortly. We're going to birth the church. We've changed everything. Everything before this was look, looking forward to this. And now this is the new humanity. This is the new reality that people can be made whole. That, and it's just beautiful. The gospel story is a beautiful story because of that ugliness. He paid it all. And friends, there is nothing that you can do that will make God love you more. And there is nothing that you can do that will make God love you less because he finished it at the cross. It was his to do, so leave it to him. And the things that you continue to struggle with and I continue to struggle with, tell God, say, oh Lord, I need your help. And I'm gonna just talk to you about it. And I'm gonna tell you about the things I'm struggling with and the heartache I'm going through and, and, and the ways in which I'm even continuing to rebel against you. Paul in Romans 7 was very honest and very upfront in saying the things that I wanna do, I don't do. And the things that I don't wanna do, I'm still doing. And yet he triumphantly wrote that there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, the law of the spirit of life has set us free. And the Apostle Paul said that it's for freedom's sake that we have been set free in Galatians 5.1. See, the truth, that is what sets us free. It's the truth that sets us free. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Jesus spoke of the mission to the Gentiles. He said, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. We are absolutely certain that what Jesus was talking about, 
was the fact that he limited his mission to Israel. Now, he encountered Gentiles, and he was blown away by the Gentile uh, centurion. And what Gentile means is non-Jew. And the word in the Greek New Testament, this is cool, for a Gentile is ethnos, ethnic. We think about ethnic people as what we think of them as. But we're the ethnic ones, you know? You ever think about that? We're the outsiders. I don't know if we think about that, those of us that are, uh, I don't even know, I, I fill out forms now, and I'm like, I don't even know what to put down for my race. Because being, I am, I, you know, it used to be okay to call yourself white, um, and I think it still is, but I'm like, do I write European American? Do I write, do I write Caucasian? I don't even know. I don't think my family like originally went, were from the Caucasus, right? So I don't, I don't know where we get all that. And I'm not trying to be snarky here, but um, those of us of European descent, we are the ethnic people. We are the Gentiles, but so are the Africans, and so are the Eskimos, and so are all these other people. And, and the Jews are the lineage of Abraham. They are the people, the center of the world, as it says in Ezekiel. I can find that scripture for you. I think it's in Ezekiel 38 or 39. But Jerusalem is the center of the world. And so we've been brought in, and it's a beautiful thing, and we're the other sheep that he's talking to, and it didn't take long. Even though Jesus touched some Gentile lives in his lifetime, it didn't take long after Cornelius got the ball rolling with Peter. And, and Paul did with, you know, taking the gospel to Europe. It didn't take long before all the ethnic people to come into the church and actually, in large part, forget its Jewish roots. But one day, there's a Jew who's going to rule the world, and his name is Yeshua HaMashiach. And Israel will be the new United Nations where we um, have counsel and where the matters of this planet will be decided, and where we will, we will all go bringing wealth and worship and prestige to the risen Nazarene, to the Lord of Lords, to the King of Kings, and we're going to have glorified bodies to do it. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. Jesus said, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. This is interesting because elsewhere in the scriptures, I don't have the scriptures, but elsewhere, the work of Christ, the resurrection, it talks about how the Spirit was active in the resurrection. It talks about how the Father raised him. This scripture talks about how Jesus was also involved in his own resurrection. Does that make sense? Look at the next verse. Uh, he says about his life, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again, this charge I have received from my Father. So Jesus himself, the Spirit, as well as the Father, were all active in the resurrection of Jesus. 